Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning. Welcome to Living Hope. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're with us online. Uh, my name is Rich Schmidt. I get to serve as the pastor here. And um, I don't think we've got the greeting on the screens, but we like to begin with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Um, this is what we believe, that whether we gather here in the building or whether we gather together virtually online, uh, we believe that God is present with us, that he has invited us to come and to meet with him, and that uh, as we gather to, to worship him, that, that he meets us here, that we meet our Lord and Savior, that the same Jesus who walked this planet uh, and taught and healed and, uh, and died on the cross for our sins and arose again, that he is present with us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for being with us. Thank you for connecting with us online. Uh, hopefully everything works better this week than it did last week. Last week we found out we had some, uh, some stuttering problems, with some glitches with the stream as we went along. And uh, so afterwards we had to turn around and upload a cleaner copy or something as quick as we could. So if there was any stuttering here in the room, it was just me. But, uh, but the stuttering on the stream was due to technical difficulty. So hopefully we won't have those this morning. You bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for doing for us what we have just been singing about uh, in these songs. God, that, uh, especially that last one there, that you lead us through the storms of life. And you know, God, that right now there are some serious storms raging in our hearts, in our uh, relationships, in our society, in our world. God, we are confident that you will lead us through these. You will help us to reach the... Uh, safety in you. And so God, I pray that today you would help us to put our trust in you, to find in you our source of life and hope and strength and identity, that, uh, that even when everything else is being pulled out from under us, uh, even when we are being challenged left and right, that God, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved by you, the God who made us, the God who is with us. I pray you'd help us to do what uh, what the Bible talks about, to, to keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus, the, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who demonstrates for us what it looks like to live faithfully. God, we are trusting you. Jesus, we are trusting that you are the one who shows us how to live, even as you bring us life. So please, God, as we stumble our way through, the storms that we are that we are facing, as we as we do our best to trust you, would you step in by your Holy Spirit? Would you, would the, the wind of your Spirit, would the fire of your Spirit blow into our lives, and and would you empower us to live the life you created us to live, to live lives of love, loving you with all that we are, with no other allegiance uh, competing with that, nothing else. Uh, kind of sitting on the throne of our hearts, but you, and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. God, help us as we look around us, as we see the people that um, we're doing life with, that we're working with, that we're neighbors with, that we're family with, as we, as we see people on social media, as we see people on the news, as we see what's going on around us, God. Would you help us to see every single person the way you see them? Would you help us to have the same eyes of, of compassion that you have? That same way that you look at us with all of our flaws, with all of our failures, with all of our, uh, 
oh, mistaken ideas and things that we think are right, but you know are wrong. God, would you help us uh, to have as much grace for others as we want to be uh, shown to ourselves? Would you help us to love our neighbors as ourselves by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us? God, this is you that is able to do this. It's you that's able to help us to feel safe and secure even in the midst of, of the storms of life. It's you that is able to transform our thinking and to transform the ways that we live and relate to the people around us. Just help us to keep trusting you, God, to continue following you, obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus, following his example, living by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God that we don't need to have any doubts today about whether or not we are loved by you. You have demonstrated it in your son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we have confidence in you. So it's in Jesus' name that we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, man, I'm looking forward to the day when we can all just take a couple of minutes and go around and greet each other again and shake some hands and give some hugs and all of that. Uh, we can't do that today. Sorry. Uh, so you can, I guess, look around and wave to somebody and say, hey, good to see you. Oh, you sneaked in after I did. Oh, hi. Hi. Wow. Glad you're here. Glad that you're here. Hi. Um, yeah. All right. And then uh, you can have a seat. Uh, if you're watching at home, I, want, I always kind of wonder, if any of you uh, who are participating from home, if any of you actually stand up and sing when we sing, I want to know that. And if you, uh, if you sit down when I say you can sit, then, uh, you know, that's just interesting to me. Anyway. Um, so my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm the pastor here, but I am not bringing the message today. Uh, my dad, Dwayne Schmidt, a uh, longtime pastor, uh, supposedly retired, but uh, but has been filling in at a church in neighboring Laporte for the last, what, two years? Is it, is it two years? Good grief. Anyway, <clears throat> hopefully they will soon have a, a pastor for that uh, you won't have to be there every Sunday. Uh, but I did just want to quickly say to those of you who are participating from home, uh, if you could take a minute to fill out that uh, little digital connect card, that would really help us uh, to to connect with you, to pray for you, uh, to hear back from you if there are things that we need to hear uh, about things going on in your life or things going on in the church that we should know about uh, that you need to communicate to us, like, for example, the whole technical difficulties thing we had last week. And I think even right now, I, think, I don't think this is going out on YouTube. For some strange reason, the, the tube between us and YouTube must be broken or clogged or something. I don't know how the intertubes work. But anyway... Uh, so fill out one of those Digital Connect cards. We would love that. Of course, you can give online. I think there are links to those uh, sitting around. You can go to our website, livinghope.info, and find that. Uh, those of you who are gathered together with us in the room, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, trust that you're here because you feel comfortable doing so and not because you feel any kind of pressure. Um, we are taking it slow, all right? Slow and steady wins the race is kind of the thought that's been in my head, the tortoise and hare and that whole story. There's a version of that with uh, uh, Pete the Cat that we read to our kids at night sometimes. But uh, we are not trying to rush anybody. All right, uh, so if you're here, I trust it's because you feel comfortable being in the room with all the folks that are here. Uh, that's why we encourage people to wear masks to make sure that everyone else feels comfortable with you being in the room uh, because we don't know where you've been, uh, frankly, uh, who you've been talking to this last week or, or what you've been around. Uh, so anyway, uh, hopefully all of us uh, are comfortable being here and that's why you're here, not because you feel some kind of pressure like, uh-oh, I gotta be there or something. Um, we're thrilled that all of you who are participating from home are feeling comfortable doing that as well. And like I said, we're not trying to rush anything. There are still churches that aren't open yet and won't be until the fall uh, for services. There are churches that are still doing everything outdoors. Um, 
there are some churches doing, just doing everything online, and then there are churches that have been open uh, since May or since that never closed or whatever. Uh, we're doing our best to follow Jesus' lead and the lead of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom we can get from um, scientists and health directors and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to, have to say to us this morning. Great. I retired 10 years ago and had about six months off, and then I started getting calls to be a temporary pastor between the churches that are between pastors. <clears throat> Most of the time, they're temporary. <laughs> six months, eight months, maybe nine. But when Laporte called, I said, you know, we've had a pastor that's been here since Moses. I think he'd been there 37 years. And said, we need at least a year. So I said, okay, I can do a year. So anyway, I told him, I said, I promised my son over two years ago I would be available this Sunday. So they've got somebody else this Sunday. And, but it looks like they're going to have a pastor, and by August I'll be back, or the middle of August, and so I'm looking forward to it, to being able here to worship with you each week. And uh, I missed something this year that you missed too, but I bet you when I start talking about it, you'll remember what it is. Happens every March in the United States of America. Thousands of college students sit on the edge of their seats, on the front of their televisions, breathlessly awaiting the pronouncement of a verdict. Are we in or are we out? And for some of those students, this verdict will change their life, the very course of their life forever. These aren't your typical college students, by the way. They're highly committed, highly skilled, highly trained athletes, specifically basketball players. And the verdict they await is whether or not their teammates will be in or not in a field of over 60 teams that make up the NCAA Division I men's basketball tournament and the ladies' basketball tournament. Some will be accepted, some will be rejected. Some will win, some will lose before a single whistle blows or a single slam dunk rattles the rim. And this process of elimination continues for three weekends. I become a March Madness person. If I ever watch basketball, it's during March Madness. Those college kids know how to play. Here's the thing. That first weekend, 16 teams make it to the Sweet 16. 48 teams are losers. The following weekend, four will advance to the Final Four and 12 will be considered losers. And of those four, one will be crowned champion. And at the end of that third weekend, we have 63 losers and only one winner. Now, don't get me wrong, I love this process, and I watch as many games as I can get away with, and, but, but what i got to remember is it's just a game. It's not a matter of life or death, it's just a game. But even though it's only a game, and losing is incredibly difficult for players, it's not uncommon for those big, strong, intimidating players, those athletes, to drop on their knees and sob when their team falls short. It's not uncommon for players to experience bouts of depression in the weeks that follow. Sometimes the months that follow. It's not uncommon for somebody to be remembered years later for his part in the failure of his team. Being called loser in the big game is very emotionally challenging. But being called loser in the game of life is far beyond emotionally challenging. It's psychological Spiritually devastating to hear again and again, you don't measure up. You fall short. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. Or you're not pretty enough. Or you're too fat. Or 
You're too skinnier. You don't wear the right clothes. You don't hang out with the right people. You don't drive the right car or motorcycle. You don't live in the right neighborhood. You're not the right gender. Or you're not married or you don't have kids. You're not in. You don't make the cut. You're out. You're just a loser. Have you ever been in the category of losing by some group or someone else? We all have. Sometimes we label ourselves that way. It affects your life dramatically, and it colors the way you perceive yourself and everything and everyone around you. It affects everything you do every day. It was one of my most important books other than the Bible that I read almost 20 years ago. It was called The Search for Significance. Robert McGee wrote that book, became a bestseller. Here's what he says. Whether labeled self-esteem or self-worth, the feeling of significance is crucial to a person's emotional, spiritual, and social stability. End of quote. See, if anything good is going to come out of our lives, we need to know that we matter. We're important. We're not worthless. We are not losers. But once there was a man who was actually a loser. He was called a loser. Actually, that wasn't his real name. In fact, it was just the opposite. His name was Zacchaeus, a very proud, acceptable name, especially in the given community in which he lived. Because, see, in the Hebrew language that he grew up with, the word Zacchaeus meant righteous or holy or pure, good and worthy, significant things for a Jew. See, by his name, he was a winner. He really was. For this Zacchaeus, however, it was just a name. Because in reality... In his own mind and in the mind of others, he was a loser. But one day his entire life was changed by a dramatic encounter with a man called Jesus of Nazareth. It happened as Jesus was on his way towards Jerusalem. One week before he was going to arrive and be crucified and down a cross for you and for me. But at this point, the week before, his popularity was overwhelming. The crowds were coming. In fact, he's on his way to Jericho and just throngs of people are following him. And every town he'd go through. Large crowds would gather just to get a glimpse, hoping to see something spectacular, maybe a healing or maybe an exorcism or maybe to hear a new teaching. But he comes to this town of Jericho and it happens again. There's the crowd. And this time there was a healing. A blind man could see. And then he continues on through town and there was Zacchaeus. Following along in your outline, here's what it says up on the screen. Jesus was going through Jericho where a man named Zacchaeus lived, and he was in charge of collecting taxes and was very rich. Jesus was heading his way, and Zacchaeus wanted to see what he was like. But Zacchaeus was a short man and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree. This is Luke's account in verse chapter 19. This description of Zacchaeus, what he did, what the crowd did, it may seem relatively benign just to read it, but it's loaded with negative implications. I mean, to the gathered multitude around there, this man was a loser. They weren't going to let him in to see Jesus. They were going to have the front row. He was in the back. See, in their minds and in his own, he's what one author calls one down to the rest of the world. He was a loser. You ever defined loser? What does a looter status mean? What does it mean to be one down? It means that if everybody else is a seven or eight, man, you didn't quite make it. You're a six. Your opinion, therefore, is less important than their opinion. And, and your feelings are less important than their feelings. And 
your status is lower than theirs, and you're constantly reminded of the fact that you can, and, and you can never get away from it. I just don't measure up, and that's exactly where Zacchaeus was, literally and figuratively. In fact, in a literal sense, he was one down physically. He was the shortest man in town. In terms of height, his number was lower than anyone. So in every interaction, he's constantly reminded of my stature and my status because he has to look up to talk to anybody else. He was on the bottom. There were less fives, there were sixes, there were sevens. He's a two when it came to his height. He was one down physically. You ever felt one down physically? It may not be your height, it could be something else. Maybe something about your appearance or something about you feel, maybe less whatever than others. Zach was not only one down physically, though, he was one down politically. I mean, he was a tax man, which in and of itself isn't so terrible. You've got to have tax people if you're going to have government. However, he worked for the Roman government, and the Roman government was the government that invaded them and held them. They occupied Israel, and to, and, and to pay taxes to the enemy that invaded you, that's not a good thing in other people's eyes. Now, I'm sure that Zacchaeus had his reason for taking the job because in their minds, see, he was more than one down. He was five or six down. He was a traitor. He was sold out. He sold out, politically speaking, to the, to the enemy. But Zacchaeus was on the wrong side politically. Have you ever been on the wrong side politically? Maybe you're around a group of people and, and you're a conservative they think you're a far-right conservative Christian fanatic and doesn't, you don't know anything else. Or maybe you're on the other side and been labeled as anti-Christian and unspiritual because you're more liberal than your political persuasions. Then you know a little bit about how Zach felt. He wasn't in, in the crowd. So he's one down physically, he's one down politically, and he's one down morally. And here's why. He was a crook. In fact, he just flat, he, he, he came very wealthy because here's what he did. He had a bunch of people to sit at toll booths all over the country and collect more money than they should. So if you owed $100, yeah, they charge you 110 And then they get to keep part of it, and Zacchaeus get to keep part of it, and he had a bunch of people doing that. So he became very wealthy, very quick. He got a cut of all that money that didn't go to Rome. It was white-collar crime. Nowadays is what we'd call it. But it was crime just the same. He was guilty. Everybody else around him knew he was guilty. He was a cheat. He got wealthy by cheating us and stealing from us. So he was one down to the lowest of the lowest as far as they were concerned. And then because of all these reasons, he was one down socially. He was riffraff. Nobody wanted to be around him. Nobody wanted him around them. You ever experienced that yourself when nobody wants you around them? They actually had a term for people like Zacchaeus. He was considered unclean. People literally believed in his day that to even sit down and eat with a man like Zacchaeus would contaminate them spiritually. That's how far down the chain Zach was. Which is why when, Zach, when Jesus came to town, Zacchaeus found himself on the outside of the crowd. They weren't about to let him in. They were not going to let him get close to a man like Jesus. I mean, he's just too much of a loser. He's unclean, he's immoral, he's, he's a loser, he's politically incorrect. So what do you do when you're one down? What do you do when everyone and everything in your life communicates that you're a loser? How do you compensate for that? Well, like Zacchaeus, you try to compensate. 
In fact, Robert McGee in his search for significance says this, the need for significance is the driving element within the human spirit. Wow. And you and I will do pretty much whatever it takes to meet that need. And we get sick of being one down, we figure out ways to raise our social status, our status level. One strategy a lot of us adopt is to perform and achieve. See, if, if I per perform and achieve good enough, I'll be able to earn my status. In other words, we'll do whatever it takes to become a winner. I'll go to college and get a degree, even if I don't like school. I'll change the color of my hair, or I'll go hair on my face, or I'll move to a new neighborhood, or I'll lose weight, or I'll make more money. I'm sure this was part of Zach's strategy as well. He may have been one down in everything else, but in terms of wealth, he was the richest man in town, it appears. That's what he did to try to compensate. I'll make more money than you. The only problem with this strategy, it's a never-ending treadmill. I mean, just think of it. There's always someone else who can outperform me or somebody else who can achieve more than I do. I mean, uh, you know, records are made to be broken, and they'll be broken. This was really, I, I was so, so impressed by a lady by the name of Michelle Cui. She was an ice skater. Everybody remember that name? That was like 20 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, at the Winter Olympics. She's like 21. Great ice skater. Favored to win the gold medal. And she gets beat by a 16-year-old teenager. She didn't win the gold. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be all washed up at 21? And realize your career is basically over? See, if her self-worth was based on a status as a skater... Where does she go then in terms of performance and achievement? You can only perform and achieve so much, somebody else is always going to do better. It's a dead-end strategy, which is why a lot of people opt for another one, and that's this, I'm going to one-up everyone. I'm going to one-up everyone and seize the status we desire. I think this is also a part of what Zach did. He got tired of being one down, so he reached out, grabbed a new level of status. He demanded it. Every toll, track, toll, every toll taker extracted a little more money than they should, and gave it to Zacchaeus, part of it to Zacchaeus, and he rose in power, he rose in status, he rose in wealth. A lot of us will do the same thing, try to up our status. We get sick of being one down, so we do our best to push everyone else down below us. We become skilled at the art of put down. Or we become backstabbers. Or we become corporate ladder climbers. Maybe become a thief, even like Zach, and I know people that have stolen other people's ideas just to get ahead in the company. In the search of significance, McGee writes this, Woe to the poor soul who gets in the way of someone like this. Whoever doesn't contribute to their success and acclaims, and, and acclaims is a threat to their self-esteem. And that's an unacceptable threat. It may sound harsh, but people who are driven to succeed will often use practically everything and everybody to meet that need. Wow. See, eventually, people catch on to the fact that you're going to use me. And so I'm going to reject you. I don't need to be used by you. And so you, then that person like Zacchaeus experiences more rejection, more isolation, and they become a loser even in more people's eyes. And I suspect that's probably where Zach was on the day that Jesus came to town. He was tired of performing. He was tired of achieving. He was trying to, tired of trying to get ahead. I just think he was tired of one-upping. 
I think he was desperate for a new and better way. There's got to be something better. Why do I say that? Well, because he was short, he couldn't even see Jesus. But instead of just taking a pass on the deal, he sets aside his self-manufactured status. He's going to create a solution. And he realizes the crowd's going this way. And right down there, he's going to be, I see a tall tree. I Nobody's in it. I'm going for it. Now, folks, grown-ups don't climb trees. I bet I haven't climbed a tree in 40 years. Or longer. People who depend on their ability to intimidate people, they don't do that sort of a thing. But he was so desperate to see Jesus that he did it. So here we have Zacchaeus, a real loser, isolated by his own doing, rejected by the people there in his own town, literally up a tree. But the most incredible thing that happens when Jesus gets involved Let's look and see what it says there in Luke 19. When Jesus got there, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. Zacchaeus hurried down and gladly welcomed Jesus. And everyone who saw this started grumbling. And this man Zacchaeus is a sinner. And Jesus is going to go home and eat with him? And later that day, Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, I will give half my property to the poor. And I will now pay back four times as much to everyone that I have cheated. I think this tells us. A lot about how Jesus treats people who are perceived as losers. Who think of themselves as losers and what can happen to them. I'm going to break this story down a little bit. Notice first of all that Jesus sought him. Oh yeah, Zach was trying to see Jesus. He climbed a tree. But Jesus was also seeking Zacchaeus. Personally, Yes. Well, how did Jesus know him? How would you not know him? He's a chief tax collector in that country. He'd have been arrested just as recognizable as the mayor or President Trump if he walked through the door. He was a top dog. And you got to remember, one of his followers was Matthew, who was a tax collector also. And I'm sure Matthew let him know, oh, by the way, Jericho's where Zach lives, Jesus. And so what does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you. I came to town because it was God's plan for me to see you today. And it was. All through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says again and again, he has not come to condemn people like Zacchaeus, people who are lost, people who are losers, but to seek them out and to save them and to help them. See, he found the most spiritual needy man in the crowd that day, up a tree. And he went to his house because losers matter to God. Same's true today. Jesus seeks the so-called losers of this world. And you also notice that Jesus just accepted Zacchaeus as he was. He didn't tell him to grow taller or do something else. No. He just accepted him. He didn't say, Zach, what a sinner you are. Get out of that tree and clean up your act and then I'll come to your house. No, he didn't say that. A lot of people think, well, i got to clean up my act before I can see. No, no, no. Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he just said, come on, Zach. I'm coming over for dinner. Let's go get it. No condemnation, no conditions, just an invitation for Zacchaeus to accept. And Zach couldn't hardly believe it. I'm sure his mouth dropped open. He probably fell out of that tree. Just imagine his astonishment. 
complete amazement. Nobody likes me. And Jesus says he's coming to my house. The whole world's written him off, but not Jesus. So Zacchaeus chose to follow Jesus. He repented, which means he changed his mind about God and how he was living and decided, I'm going to do it God's way. See, he'd chosen sin in order to compensate. He decided to one-up it and, 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 and cheat and steal. Instead of trusting God to exalt him, he'd take matters in his own hands. And a lot of times we try to do that. We try to take matters in our own hands. And he realized, man, I need to repent and be forgiven. I need to let God change my life and help me. Now, we should not interpret this amending of a sinful life is getting back to people that he cheated to something he has to do. No, no, it was something that Zacchaeus got to do because now his life was different. See, when you know the real Jesus and you give him access to your life and you open up your life to him, stuff starts changing. Your language starts changing. <laughs> your spending habits start changing. These things don't happen because Jesus said, do this or else. No, it happens because he changes you from the inside out. Guess what? Jesus believed in him. He really did. He saw Zacchaeus as a man with potential to live differently and to be transformed. Let's review what happened to this guy. He's too crooked for the religious people, okay? But he wasn't too crooked for Jesus. He was a guy that nobody thought he was good enough, but he was good enough for Jesus. He was the guy with whom nobody would associate. They'd be contaminated. But Jesus says, I'm coming to your place to associate with you, Zacchaeus. I mean, here's a guy that <laughs> nobody ever thought would change. But he opened his life up to God, and Jesus changed him. In fact, in your notes there, it says that Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today you and your family have been saved. The Son of Man came to look for and to save people, just like he, Zacchaeus, people who are lost. See, Jesus gave him a new legitimacy apart from performing and achieving and one-upping. And with this pronouncement, Jesus says that Zacchaeus is a new man. He can no longer be written off as a loser. Uh -uh, he's not a loser anymore. He's a legitimate member of the people who belong to the family of God, of whom the majority of the scriptures are written for. Do you realize when you follow God, you've got over 700 promises in the Bible that are just for you. And so Jesus was sent to bring salvation to people just like Zacchaeus. Now here's the secret. I've been preaching now for 43 years. And the number of people who struggle with thoughts of losing far exceeds the number of people who look at themselves as winners. I mean, so many of us can quickly rattle off areas in which we don't measure up to the world's standards of acceptability. So many of us can look at our lives, see where we failed. I listen to my son, Pastor Rich, speak. He hardly has a note in front of him. My brain doesn't work like that. The only thing I can remember is, okay, after page two is page three over here. And if I move it over here, then I know the next pages are going to be over here. See, we all, all of us fall short in our minds. And if the truth was known, that's where some of us are this morning. 
You may appear to have it all together on the outside, but on the inside you feel like, but really in life, I'm a loser. Your sense of personal worth may be almost non-existent. And you despair because you've tried to perform and you discovered the price is too high. You just can't keep it up over the long haul. The standards of approval keep changing, it seems. The same Jesus connect with you. See, if you're here feeling like a failure, or you're listening to me today, and you feel like a loser, a person with too much baggage to ever hope to have a real relationship with God, you better take a second look at Jesus. Because, see, he loves you, and he likes you. How easily we're convinced that God's love is some theoretical, remote thing. Part of us accepts and knows God's loving, but we're not convinced he likes us. But the life of Jesus is proof that he does. And when you give him a chance to become your friend and see what a change he can make in you, it may not be overnight. It may not be instantaneous. However, as time goes around and you keep on following him, making decisions you know he wants you to make and to do the right thing, and you ask him, God, I need help here, and you do what he, you know he wants, guess what? Locked deep in your soul, he brings out that precious new uniqueness, the true you, to the full wonder that God intended. Some of you know, and I haven't shared this, but just two different churches, so I guess you'll be the third. And those of you online will hear. But see, when I was a youngster, I was a loser. I remember when I first got invited to go to a vacation Bible school. And they wanted to play softball. I grew up on a farm 15 miles from town, which in the old days was a long ways to go. It was not a paved road. I knew how to change spark plugs in my dad's pickup. By the time I was six, he had me doing it. I could do all kinds of stuff. But to play softball, I didn't even know how to hold a bat. You know how they do it. They line you up. Okay, pick who you want. I'm the last one chosen for a good reason. And I was the last one on everything they tried to do. Because that was new to me. I remember sitting there one time eating, and by this time, it was the next year. I went, why on earth I let them talk me into going back to VBS? I don't know, but I went back to vacation Bible school. And I'm sitting across the table eating, and I'm eating with another farm boy who kind of took me under his wing, and we knew each other from time to time. Our parents were friends. And somebody across the table says, wow, what's wrong with Dwayne? He eats funny. I guess I was. I had three, old, I had three sisters. If you didn't eat it fast, it disappeared. I remember thinking, oh, that's not good. And his name was Irvin. Irvin said, well, you know, Dwayne's kind of unique. He's different than us. He's good. And on it goes, I went to kindergarten. I went to first grade. I was the one that was the loser. My mom and dad tried to get me to go to boys' camp. My two older sisters went to girls' camp. They'd come back, oh, that's great. I said, I'm not going there. Why do I want to go somewhere where people laugh the way I talk, and they talk, and they, they, they you know, they make fun. I'm not going to do that. I could have gone when I was seven. I didn't go. Could have gone when I was eight. I didn't go. I'm nine. I'm sure my mom set my older sister up to this. She came to me one time out in the yard where I was playing with the dog. She says, hey, Dwayne, 
you know what's really nice about camp? I said, no, what? You get what they call snack money. Every day, you get snack money. Do you know I had an ice cream cone every day I was at camp? Ice cream cone. Hey, I'm talking about in the 50s. What's an ice cream cone? I get those maybe once a year. Really? What do you get, pop? Oh, yeah, we get soda every day. You get to choose which kind you want. And she starts naming off all kinds of soda. I didn't know there was that kind of soda. Next time I went in and told my mom, said, hey, I think I'll go to boys camp this year. So I go to boys camp. And what do you think happens? Just like I thought. Last one picked for anything. I'm the one nobody wants. And all I can remember is there's a guy preaching from Kinsley, Kansas, which is a little town, podunk place. You won't even blink your eyes going through there. It's pretty small. And he was in a smaller church. But he was the preacher. And he put it on my level. And I understood one time, I need to open my life up to God. God can help me. Even somebody like me that nobody wants. And so they gave us an invitation to come down and kneel and pray. And I came down there. And this guy happens to see me come. And he comes and sees me. He says, Dwayne. Why'd you come today? He says, I, I need to open my life to God, but I don't know how to do it. So he told me. He says, listen, I'm going to talk out loud. You talk silently to God. We're going to invite God into your life. And so we did. And guess what? For a guy in such a small little town and a small little church, he sure had a lot of wisdom. I got done. I said, I guess what, Dwayne? God loves you. He likes you. Doesn't matter if nobody else likes you. He likes you. I said, Really? Oh, yeah. I said, that must be why I feel different. I said, he said, it is. He says, and it doesn't matter what other people think. You just want to please God the rest of your life. You just do what God wants, and God will be happy with you. And you'll enjoy life. Okay. But he said, promise me one thing. Tell your mom and dad when you get home, you sit them down and say, Tuesday night at camp, I open my life to God. I said, okay, I'll do that. My life began to change. I didn't care what people thought of me. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I had to go to speech therapy to learn how to talk right. and still don't talk right, and I still talk too fast. I had to do a lot of things, but I didn't care. God loved me. Guess what? I go to school. People laugh at me. I just laughed with them. I'd try to laugh. I'd on purpose for me not talk right, right, and they'd just laugh again. I'd laugh with them. By the time I'm in high school, I'm the class president, the loser. Was a class president, freshman, sophomore, junior, and then I said, My senior, it's time for you to vote for somebody else. So they invited my then they voted for my farmer friend to be the president. Now listen, folks. Just this Wednesday night, I went to a house to visit some people. And a lady in her seventies. Or maybe 80s. I don't know. When you get to be old, we all look old. She decided to open her life to Jesus, and she did. She became a winner. And I don't know where you are in your life today. You may be watching, or you may be here. But we need to open our life to Jesus. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. And if you're watching, streaming this, you do the same as these people here. I'm going to talk out loud to God. You talk silently. Dear God, today, I want to open my life to you. 
And I invite you to come into my life just like you did Zacchaeus's. And I pray, dear God, that you will help me as you help Zacchaeus. That you'll forgive me like you forgave Zacchaeus. And that you'll help change my life. Because God, you came for people like me. I am so thankful that you made me different. And you made the people here praying this prayer different. We're unique. We can be ourselves because you love us. Because you made us. And for that we say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Rich. Thank you. Could we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Before we celebrate communion, I'd love it if uh, if the musicians could come and lead us in that song. and then we'll celebrate communion together. If, uh, if you're participating from home and you, haven't, and you want to participate in communion today, uh, this, you've got a chance. And if you haven't already grabbed some bread or some juice or something, uh, some elements, uh, we're going to, after we sing, we're going to pray and, uh, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, this is a chance for all of us to, uh, to join together in celebrating the amazing gift that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ, the amazing price that was paid uh, for, for you and for me to be able to pray the prayer that we just prayed. Uh, So let's sing. Let's celebrate. That's what we want, God. We want you more than anything else and the love you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Today we offer ourselves to you, praying that you would transform us by your Holy Spirit into a people who can reflect your love and your grace to the world. We offer you ourselves, God. Just like today, we offer to you these gifts of bread and of juice, praying that by your Holy Spirit's presence with us, we might meet our risen Savior in his body, and in his blood. Meet us here today, God. Help us to experience your grace in a a tangible, touchable, even tasteable way so that we might be transformed by your presence in our lives, by your love filling our hearts, by you transforming our minds the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about others, knowing just how much you love us, just how much you value us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here in the room, we've got the little, uh, the little cups. Or if, you, if you can get to the top one there, the little flimsy uh, plastic, you can pull that back, you get to the bread. Um, on the night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread. He was eating with his disciples. They were celebrating the Passover. They'd been, they were commemorating all that God had done in the past to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And now he was saying, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me, of my body broken for you. Take and eat the bread. And then after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this, this is my blood. This is a new covenant, a new agreement between God and humanity. When you do this, when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me to take. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the love that you have shown us. You did not keep your distance from us. You came right up to us on the tree that we were were climbing in. 
and you called to us. You healed what was broken. You brought life where we, by our own sin, had brought death. Today, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your grace, with your love, so that we might be changed. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.